7.04, and really excited about this one tonight. Let's get right into it. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo in the studio all by myself. Ira's not here. He's always jet-setting across the country. Ira, where are you now? I'm in Los Angeles. I was at the Rams game uh, on Saturday. It was a tremendous game between uh, the LA Rams and Dallas Cowboys, and uh, I'm here for a couple more days. I'll be back in the studio on Monday. I uh, can't wait to hear all about uh, that game, the atmosphere in general, because I, I think you have some interesting takeaways from this. It wasn't your favorite stadium ever, and uh, you've been to pretty much all of them. So we'll talk about that. Two really big guests tonight as well. Uh, good friend of the show. We've had him on before. Steve Tannehill is going to be joining us in just about 10 minutes, Ira. You want to tell us about Steve? Um, Steve is the, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of South Carolina. Uh, he set all the records there. He's, you know, an expert in terms of him being in South Carolina, understanding what's going on there, and has followed the Clemson program. So we're going to get sort of his insight into the championship game. And also, uh, I'd really like to ask him about the whole issue about Kyler Murray, because that's going to be the big discussion for the next week, uh, whether he's going to choose to play baseball or uh, go to the NFL draft. Yeah, why not both? Do the old Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. You know, that's what I would do if I was the kid. Well, they're already mocking him uh, to the Giants if he does come out at number six overall. So it should be interesting uh, to talk about that in a little bit with Steve Tannehill here on Iron Sports. And then a, a newbie to Iron Sports, uh, about 750. He's going to join us. It's Tim DePero. Would you like to tell us about him? Yeah, Tim was Randy Moss's agent. He's been agent for, for four other NFL football players. I thought it'd be cool to bring him on because he gets an insight in terms of a mercurial wide receiver problem. <laughs> we can get insight into the Antonio Brown situation, uh, Lavian Bell. Uh, he was the one who orchestrated the whole move from to Randy Moss going to New England and uh, the, how that went all went down. So it'd be interesting to have him on and, and sort of sort of draw parallels between Randy Moss and Antonio Brown, two of the greatest wide receivers of all time. You know, and I'm sure we're going to talk uh, plenty more about, you know, just the Steelers and Antonio Brown over the next couple of weeks on this show. But, you know, it cu- came out today, Ira, Antonio Brown, apparently Jerry Rice is saying he wants to be a 49er. Don't know if that's a shock to anybody, but, you know, now we've seen more stuff coming out um, from the Rooney family and stuff. So, I mean, what would you give the odds right now of A.B. suiting up in black and gold next year? I don't think he's going to sue. I think every every indication is that he's done, and they're going to get rid of him, and they can do it with the salary cap. And uh, I have there's no indication that he's coming back at all. He hasn't returned anybody's calls. It, uh, uh, this could have been maybe handled differently if he had to blow up at the end of the year and everybody, you know, said, oh, we're sorry and whatever and covered up. But it seems like he does not want to play there and they don't want him there and they're going to figure out a way to move him. And I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting. I mean, if he went to San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he is a, he is a star wide receiver in its, in his prime uh, for teams that have poor, like the, the wide receivers of the 49ers are terrible this year. Uh, you put him on some of these teams, to be a very big difference maker uh, for some of these quarterbacks. And I'm sure Jimmy G would love to have him on at uh, the 49ers. Pierre Garçon is a uh, Palm Beach County um, resident. You're going you're gonna to make fun of him? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, they could definitely use an upgrade at the 49ers' uh, wide receiving core. And uh, Jimmy Grappolo is you know, going to need the help as well. So we'll talk about that coming up here on Iron Sports. So one of the things that we, we don't mind doing here on Iron Sports is admitting when we were wrong. I was wrong about pretty much every single playoff pick uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, that was not good. But Ira... You were wrong about Clemson and Alabama, and most of the country was wrong about this. Clemson, massive win for the national championship over Alabama last Monday. Yeah, uh, we left the show uh, a week ago, and I went down, and I couldn't even get to my apartment before the score was 7 nothing. I, <laughs> I heard it on the radio, and I run in there, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, Tua 
throws uh, probably the least amount of interceptions of any quarterback who threw passes. I mean, he was averaging more uh, incompletions than, than touchdown passes than, than, uh, than incompletions, and suddenly throws an interception on the first play of the game for, for Alabama for a pick six, even that. Uh, and it was a game, it was a very unusual game. And I think my one takeaway, we're going to go break it down, but my one takeaway for the game is that the changes in the Alabama's coaching staff finally caught up to them because every year they have losing coordinators on the offensive defensive side and a lot of other coaches. Even this year, seven coaches were, were announced going to other schools. Uh, Clemson has been able to keep their coaching staff intact, which I don't think is going to happen going forward. But they were able to keep their players intact. It's almost like Clemson, their staff, their team, was pointing to this game. They were focused on this game. Alabama just, uh, they weren't ready to play. They really weren't ready to play. I, was, I thought it was a really disappointing performance on Alabama. I think a very talented team that just got beat by a very good team. And it took, it was going to take a team like Clemson to beat Alabama, and they did. And you got to give credit to Clemson, but I really think you see, look at the, the, it just seemed like Alabama was discombobulated on offense. They were very confused on defense. It's, Clemson knew what, it's almost they knew exactly what Alabama was going to do, yeah. and Clemson just had a game plan, they, and their players executed from, you can see how Dabo Sweeney, their coach, was so proud of the team. As this is, these are players, there are many players that could have been drafted last year that came back to win this game. They were pointing to this game. They wanted to win, and they did. And uh, Alabama did not play well, and they, their coaches did not coach well, and the players didn't play well. Uh, let's talk about the game itself. Like you said, this was a weird one because, it, I mean, if you blinked right when the game started, you missed two touchdowns. Like you said, there was a touchdown right to start the game, and then Tua does come right back with a, a bomb touchdown to Judy. So it's 7-7, Ira, and I'm like, all right, we got ourselves a little bit of game here, and then from then on, it really wasn't. Well, it was a little bit because then Clemson went down, Lawrence threw to Higgins, 62-yard pass, 14-7, but then Alabama worked the ball down the field, a nice drives and Najee Harris, 14 and they took both, they went down, missed the extra point, 14-13, and then, uh, and then Bama drove down again. And that's when they had, this is when they were, again, had the time of possession advanced the whole game. Uh, but they had the ball on the one yard line, but there's a false start, two or three, two passing completions, and they were settled for a field goal. So instead of going up 2014 or 2114, it was 1614 in the first quarter. Um, it's amazing. To, it, it, it's, it's, it's just amazing. That was it. I mean, they didn't score. And by the end of the first quarter, in the beginning of the second where they scored, they went three quarters Alabama without scoring a point. Just absolutely unheard of that Alabama would go that long. Because uh, Clemson just – but this is exactly what happened in the Notre Dame game. Clemson just blew them out in the second quarter. Yeah. Exactly what, it was a tight game, and then Clemson blew Notre Dame out. I said, well, Notre Dame's not Alabama. But, wow, I mean, Clemson came down there, screened, they, they, they were able to, to – Etienne ran great when he had to. They took the lead 21-16. Then Bama, they go – they went on a fourth down play, fourth and one on their own 35. Saban goes for it. And then Tua throws that interception to Mullen, and he returned it 50 yards. I mean, Tua threw three, two interceptions for the game. Both were returned, one for a touchdown, the other returned for 50 yards. 100 yards interception returns. And then, uh, then they went in, in on the third and seven. Lawrence threw a great pass to Rogers for uh, a first down, and then Etienne ran for another touchdown, twenty-eight sixteen. And then on the next drive, that Alabama had the ball, Tua got pounded on a sack, yeah. and Clemson went down again and got a field goal to make it thirty-one thirty-one sixteen. I mean, for the first half, Tua's numbers were horrendous: thirteen for seventeen, two touchdowns, two interceptions. They actually had more first downs, fourteen eleven. 
and the and the artist were the same. But there's two interceptions. You just couldn't have it. And Clemson was opportunistic. I, the one thing I said was when someone throws an interception, to be able to take advantage of those interceptions, be able to do something with it. And Clemson was the opportunistic team. They took it. They made. They took advantage of Alabama's mistakes. And uh, you got to give them credit for that because they didn't just get the interception. They ran in for a touchdown and they ran the other one back 50 yards. 713, you're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Steve Tannehill joins us in uh, just about two or three minutes here on Iron Sports. Want to get uh, his takes on this game as well as uh, talk about, you know, Kyler Murray and some of these other fun things that are happening uh, across the world of the NCAA. All right, Ira, you want to hop to the second half here before we get um, before we get Steve on? Because, you know, once Clemson got in the driver's seat, it looked like there was no turning back after this. Well, I thought it was almost like Mike Tyson there in the in Buster Douglas. I mean, it was sort of like Alabama was flailing away. They they had these drives. They had a 13 play, uh, 51 yard drive. They went down and they were suddenly was fourth and five, and they decided to go for the worst fake field goal of all time. Everybody oh, knew what was going to happen. They got stopped, so they got stopped on fourth down there. And then Trevor Lawrence threw to Justin Ross, who was the Alabama Player of the Year. He's another freshman, a 74 yard bomb. So now suddenly it's now 37-16. Then Bama drives down again uh, the whole way down the field, and it's on fourth down, and they go forward, it was, and uh, they got short, short by a yard. So now this is the second time in a row Bama gets stopped on fourth down. They had eight minutes of clock that Alabama took off the clock in terms of trying to score at zero points in the whole, for the first second half. And it is usually that's Bama for touchdowns. And then uh, on third down, Ross made another great catch. They went up 44-16. It's funny that Bama went down the whole way again. And another fourth down, they got stopped. I mean, they just couldn't score. Uh, another big takeaway from the game is at the end of the game, and it's uh, 44-16. The, the, almost the, the final 10 minutes of the game was a joke. I mean, but Jalen Hurtson, I mean, I've never, could you imagine Alabama getting blown out of a football game? No. I mean, the stats were equal. I can't you know, go over the stats because it was such a weird type of game. But the longest run Alabama had all these pro running backs was 15 yards, and they just had two long passes to Judy. Clemson was able to minimize the, Alabama's big play attack um, to nothing, really. And Clemson was the team that made those big plays. So the uh, Justin Ross had six catches for 150 yards. Eddie Ann had 14 rushes for 86 yards and a touchdown, two touchdowns. And Higgins had three catches for 81 yards. Clemson was the team that made the big plays on offense, the big plays on defense, and Alabama didn't do those things. No, they didn't, and it looked like Dabo got the best of Saban too, which you know you don't you don't say that often that Nick Saban got uh, you know had someone take advantage of him, and, and that's how that game uh, looked to me. It's time to bring in Steve Tannehill, uh, South Carolina Gamecocks absolute legend. He's a good friend here of Iron Sports as well. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. You're becoming a regular around here. <laughs> yeah, I need a paycheck, man. I'll give you my address, and uh, y'all send me something. <laughs> that, that's going to be uh, on Ira. I, what do you have for Steve? Steve, um, what did you think about the game? I mean, I my take was I just came on. My take was I just looked like Alabama was the more prepared team. I mean, Clemson was the more prepared team. The players came back. They wanted it more, and Alabama seemed to all these the last few years with the coaching turnover they had just were not prepared for this game. And, and Clemson just knew what they wanted to do and executed, and, they're, and, they're, and they made the big plays on offense and defense. Well, I, you know, at the beginning of the game, I think they fooled to a little bit. Clemson defense did, and um, you know, they once they kind of got the lead and got control of the game. And I think Alabama went away from their running game um, a little too soon, fearing that they had to score every time. Um, and I was really looking for some halftime adjustments, and it looked to me like the halftime adjustment was to get back and running the ball. Uh, but then they couldn't get those 
you know, the fourth down conversions and the third down conversions. And, uh, you know, being in the state of South Carolina, and obviously I'm not a, a Tiger, uh, I have known Coach Sweeney uh, since about 1992. He was a wide out of Alabama, and I was a quarterback here. And uh, since he's been coaching, I've, I've got to know him. And, and Jeff Scott is their offense coordinator. He, uh, I played for his dad two years here at the University of South Carolina. So, um, you know, what Dabo has done there is, is you know, pretty amazing. But to me, I think when the second half started, I really think Coach Saban felt like he had to score every time. Um, and I'm not sure that was the case. I think, they, again, they, they could have continued to run the ball. Um, but you, you hear sometimes about teams on a mission. And uh, when, those, when those three defensive linemen announced last year at this time that they were coming back, um, I think right there, um, you know, they passed up a lot of money. And, uh, you know, you look at Christian Wilkins, he's the leader of the whole team. Um, his draft stock has actually gone down. You know, I don't know how that happens because he's a, he's an unbelievable player. But, you know, last year he would have been in top ten. Now he's saying, you know, he's 15. Um, but when that happens to a program and uh, you get guys that stay and uh, they're the leaders, and uh, I, I really think Clemson was on a mission. And then on offense, they're just tough. That freshman quarterback, you know, around – around this state when they made the change because Kelly Bryant um, from the state of South Carolina, he started off playing at Abbeville and, and then moved to another school and I coached against them a few times. Um, but when that, that whole decision, no one understood it. And I think it was made um, for one reason, and that was to give them a chance to throw the ball um, and use all their talent and, and to win a national championship. And you, know, you got to credit Dabo and, and those coaches for, um, you know, what they've done at Clemson, it's it's unbelievable. So, I mean, you, you made a point about the first play of the game where Tua was confused. Uh, and for someone who threw just a handful of interceptions all year uh, and to throw on this, I guess his second pass or first pass, a pick six, and then that long pass, that 50-yard pass where he's trying for the end zone, uh, another, it didn't make any sense. He was looking like he was throwing into triple coverage. What did it look like South Carolina, I mean, Clemson was doing to confuse Tua. I mean, he had a good game. He threw for 285 yards, statistically. But those two interceptions were just horrendous, and his inability on third down to make some passes uh, really hurt them. Oh, yeah. And if you go back, you know, I always said as a coach, and, you know, a lot of coaches say it, you know, the two most important stats in a football game are turnovers and then conversions on third down, whether you're on defense or on offense, you know. Can you get them off the field on third down? Can you, can you stay on the field? And you look what Clemson did on third down. It was unbelievable. Um, I mean, it was unbelievable. Most of, most of the quarterback's yards came on third down. Um, they couldn't get them off the field. But uh, those first two, those turnovers in the first half gave Clemson the advantage going into halftime. And I think that's a completely different game if it's a tie game at halftime uh, because then I think Alabama runs the ball. And I think they could have just pounded it um, had they, you know, continued to do that. But because of those two interceptions and the one, they just rolled the coverage. Um, it wasn't, you know, the first pick was just the ball was thrown behind him, and that kid made a good play out there. He made it look like he was going to the corner route, and he jumped underneath, but the ball was thrown behind. But the other one, I think he was completely fooled, and he never saw the, the, the three-deep corner leak into that inside seam route. And, um, you know, he hasn't been fooled all year. 
Um, he only threw four picks coming into the game. And I, I think, uh, honestly, my gut tells me that Clemson's probably been watching film on Tua all year. Um, and they figured out, you know, something that no one else saw. And, and, and Brent Venerables give him a lot of credit. He's, you know, he's probably the best D coordinator in college football right now. And uh, he had a great package prepared for that football game. And what, and what do you feel, Steve, about – we're talking to Steve Tannehill, a South Carolina legend, and also he won three state titles as a coach in South Carolina. But what do you think about the turnover on the Alabama coaching staff? I mean, it's, when you are successful, everybody wants your coaches. But, I mean, they're losing coordinators after coordinators and position coaches or position coaches every year. Huge turnover, turnover last year. They're going to have another big turnover this year. I mean, what effect do you think that had on their overall preparation for the game and, and how they – I mean, was it anything? Was what? What? How much did affected the turnover on their staff have with their loss? Oh, it, it affects it. There's no question it affects it because you know those coaches are interviewing for jobs or taking you know taking phone calls that normally they wouldn't be, and you've got something else on your mind. And you know it's like Locksley. Um, You know he's headed to Maryland. Um, obviously, the, the quarterback coach is headed to Miami. So. You know, these guys have to be preparing for their next step as well as get ready for the national championship game where Clemson, Coach Sweeney's done a great job of keeping those guys and making that environment where they don't want to leave. Um, you know, Venerables, I mean, and, and the money, you know, the money they're making is so high um, and, and the community and they just like everything and, and those coaches are staying and that plays an important part. I promise you, a kid coming out of high school um, – who plays four years and has the same position coach, uh, it means a lot more than a coach that comes out of high school and has three or four position coaches. And and uh, especially as the coordinator, you know, the offense, it changed from last year to this year for Alabama, and it's going to change again. Um, it doesn't matter who they hire. He's going to have his own way of calling plays. And, and uh, so everything changes. And I think the continuity um, – you know, did catch up to Alabama maybe a little bit in that game, but it still comes down to the guys on the field. And, and I think Clemson just outplayed them. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about who outcoached who. You know, you can say a lot of things, but I just think the guys on that field, um, especially on Clemson's offense, they outplayed Alabama's defense. Well, I guess just turn to another subject is that uh, – I mean, the big talk today has been Kyler Murray of Oklahoma, and, and it seemed like during the whole year he was consistent saying, I'm going to play baseball, I'm going to play baseball, I'm going to play baseball. Um, anybody knows you're one, I think, that you're still the all-time, one of the top uh, all-time leading basketball players in Pennsylvania history in terms of points, so you were a two- or three-sports star. Uh, what, uh, and now Kyler is now saying that he's you know, potentially going to go to pro and go in the pros. Um, no one knows actually how tall he is. What, what do you see as his pro prospects are what would you suggest he do and what's your opinion about his uh chances in the nfl well i mean he's awful talented you know he was a texas high school legend um you know and quarterback and uh you know most of most of those guys you, you see a lot of texas high school quarterbacks um you know once they go to college they're, they're playing in the pros so i mean drew Brees and nick folk went to the same high school um you know, and, and Andrew Lux from Tammy, it goes on and on, all these guys from Texas. So, um, you know, he was highly thought of coming out. I, I really think he played this year. Um, you know, they signed him for like $4.9 million Oakland A's, took him eighth or seventh. Um, I think he went out there this year just to play because he wanted that last shot at football. 
and obviously somebody has gotten to him now and saying, you know, you might be able to, um, you know, play both. And I, I don't know. I saw something today said $15 million he wants from the Oakland A's. Um, and uh, he's awful talented. I, I don't think he's much, you know, probably six foot. Uh, but there's a place for small guys. Uh, and, and the way the offenses are going now, um, you know, Mahomes isn't that big. Obviously, Drew Brees isn't that big. Russell Wilson isn't that big. Um, but he can play. He, he's got all the talent, um, no question. I, I, You know, my personal opinion is, he's, you know, he already took the four point whatever million from the A's. Um, if you can get some more, <laughs> that's great. I don't know that he'll be a first-round pick. Um, but I think, you know, there's a place out there for guys to play both. Russell Wilson's going to um, Yankees or Mets training camp this summer, um, you know, baseball. So, I, I mean, um, you know, I'm not sure what he wants to do. Obviously, there's people out there that know a lot more and, and think he can be a high draft pick and, and gives them, you know, it, it's just like a kid coming out of college. You've got a job doing this in New York and a job, you know, in, in Columbia, South Carolina doing this. And you waver it between both of them. Obviously, he's um, got some good representatives where, you know, he's going to see which one, you know, works out the best for him. And I guess the, uh, the, fun, the final question would be, um, you're in South Carolina, you're in you know, Columbia, you're, you're, you're at the University of South Carolina, you have the, a bar called the Recovery Room, which is the most popular bar on campus. Um, I guess South Carolina is like, we st- now they have a team in the state that's this national, super national power. Um, where do you see, I guess the question is, where do you see Clemson now? I mean, now that people are looking at them saying now they're on the same, they've won two national titles in four years, they're at the same level of Alabama. Uh, what is the feeling of the state about Clemson and, and in terms of what they're, you know, they're, how are they embracing it? Or I'm sure South Carolina fans are, we got to get better. Like, we, 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 we got to beat this team. No question. It, it, I think it puts a lot of good pressure on the University of South Carolina um, to get better. You know, here's this team, you know, in the ACC uh, conference, our rival, and they're able to do this. You know, where are we at? You know, why why can't we get this type of talent here? And I think it puts pressure on our on our coaches and and our players to to get better or play better or work harder. Um, I, I actually think it can be a positive thing. You know, it's not for the fans. Um, you know, the South Carolina fans aren't happy. It doesn't matter if we're all in the same state. Um, you know, Gamecocks are Gamecocks and Tigers are Tigers, and there's no love <laughs> loss between either one. Um, but I think it can be a positive to make our football team and our football program go harder, um, recruit better. Um, and find a way to beat Clemson. You know, we, we beat Clemson five times in a row when Coach Spurrier was here when we had Mel, Melvin Ingram and Alshon Jeffrey and Jadavon Clowney, Stephon Gilmore. You know, those guys were all on the same team, and, and we were beating Clemson every year. Um, and now the table has turned a little bit, and you look at the guys Clemson, Clemson's had. I mean, unbelievable talent. So, um, you know, it kind of comes and goes a little bit. It's about time for us to get our guys and, and hopefully Coach Muschamp can do that. I know he's a tireless, tireless recruiter, um, but we, we've got we've to get better here, and we have to have more talent. That, the SEC is tough week in and week out, and you have to have depth. And um, to get that depth, you've got to recruit, and you've got to get lucky. You've got to get a couple two stars uh, or one star and make them a better player. Um, you know, the, the rookie of the year on defense is Darius Leonard. 
Uh, he played at South Carolina State. He's a South Carolina guy, and, and both Clemson and Carolina missed on him. And here he is, a second-round pick and, and defensive rookie of the year. So there's talent out there. And, and uh, you know, I think right now South Carolina has to do a better job of developing some of the, you know, the one and two stars um, to get us back to, to where we can compete at that level. And, and this year, next year, I mean, we got Alabama at home, Clemson at home, Florida at home, go to Georgia, go to Texas A&M. I mean, if we're not prepared next year, you know, we could win four games. So uh, it's a, it's a long road to, um, you know, it's a it's a big hill to climb. Wow, Alabama and Alabama and Clemson, just win this season. <laughs> that is a tough schedule. That is definitely amazing. But Steve, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate your insight, and uh, I thought it was really interesting what you have to say. And you have certainly a, a different insight that nobody else has, being a star quarterback at South Carolina and being in the state of South Carolina. So thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, anytime. Send me that check, man. Have a good one. <laughs> Always love Steve. I will. <laughs> Always love Steve Tanniel here on Ira on Sports. It's 729. This is the True Oldies channel. If you can't tell, Ira's joining us via the phone. He's halfway across the country because Ira was taking in some playoff football this weekend. Ira, tell us where you are, what you were doing, and I really want to hear about you know where the LA Rams play. Well, it's I this is a big this is the first game they've had here in 20-some years in terms of the L.A. Coliseum, uh, Rams, Cowboys. It was really interesting uh, when the Bears were playing the Eagles last week. Uh, the ticket prices, there was a certain level about where the ticket price was. And I was like, if the Bears make that field goal, this game is probably going to be less than what the stuff up value was. Because the Bears fans, even though they travel and are popular, that's not – I mean, there's a zillion Cowboy fans. They're not a zillion Bear fans. And I was, like, debating. I knew exactly what ticket I wanted. It was on the 50-yard <laughs> line. I thought it was a good price. And I was like waiting to push it, but because if he doesn't make that field goal, it's the Bears, and the price probably goes down. But if he makes it, it goes way up. And right when that it hit the crossbar, the other crossbar, and right when it hit the first crossbar, I said it's not going to go in. And then I went to buy it, and then it just—I've never had this happen on a ticket. It just kept nothing happened. And then I thought I didn't get the ticket, and like an hour and a half later, Ticketmaster says, "Oh, the ticket you requested, you have." I was like, "Wow, that's great!" And then the price went up three to four times what I bought the ticket for because all the Cowboy fans came to the stadium and packed the Coliseum. So uh, it was a really, that was not one of my neatest ticket buying experiences because it was either one of those, like a stock that either can go up or down based upon, I felt like in that movie for the old timers out there trading places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> you know, waiting for the, the uh, crop report to come in and whichever way that goes is where the market was going to move. So it was very exciting. But um, I, I, the Coliseum is a dump. It's. It, I just wanted to be. You know, it's historic. Uh, there's been there's been two Olympics there, 32 and 84. The Dodgers played there from 58 to 61, um, and actually had World Series was there. And an interesting stat about the Coliseum when they when they played, you hear this term moonshot because they had the one set field. The the, the lines were so weird to left field. It was 250 feet. So you had to, uh, um, it was like, you know, just hit almost bunt the ball. It's a, it's a home run. So they put these big, big uh, walls up there to try, like in Fenway Park, or even higher than mm-hmm. that. So people just didn't hit like 100 home runs. And then this guy, Wally Moon, learned how to hit these high pop-ups over the wall. And that's why the, the term moonshot started. So uh, the Super Bowl one and seven was at the Coliseum. UCLA played there from 28 to 81. Uh, USC still plays there. And the Raiders played there from 82 to 95. And the Rams were here in L.A. They played from 46 to 79. 
So it is an extremely historic stadium. Uh, it's neat when you have the Olympic torch that they light before the game. Uh, I think everybody remembers when Muhammad Ali lit that at the last uh, the Olympics that was there. Um, it's undergoing a $270 million renovations for USC. The Rams in two years are going to move into the most expensive stadium ever constructed in the world in LA with the Chargers, but that's uh, a few miles away. But it was, it's complete. There's nothing around the stadium. There's no, people were in parking decks. There's no fields. It's right next to the USC campus, but there's highways all around it. So it's really, there's no parking lots. There's no restaurants. There's no bars. It, there's no atmosphere at all when you go outside the stadium. Uh, it was just really bad. And it was rain before. So everything is muddy. And whatever fields they are was full of mud. And there's all these museums. I know this sounds crazy, but there's all these museums around the um, the stadium, but they, so there's like these old fighter jets that are outside, but no one's allowed to tailgate on the museum ground. So you're just walking over to a stadium and then you get to the stadium and it's a dump in the stadium trying to get in. They don't have the concessions are like, it looks like a high school football stadium. The concessions are outside and you walk around to these small little concessions, session things. And then you have to walk into the stadium. The only thing in the stadium is the seats and then you come out. So there's not, you're not in a true stadium. And the seats are all falling apart. The stadium's falling apart. They're doing all this construction. There was mud everywhere. It wasn't raining or anything, <laughs> but the, I'm, it's, I've never been to a pro football stadium that was in such a dilapidated condition ever. So it was great that it was historic, and I love being there. But um, and it was a great game. The atmosphere was cool, but it's really not one of the best stadiums. I mean, there's no club seating. There's no. There's one whole deck for the whole thing, um, and. Uh, it was, and the, oh, one other great part about the game was that uh, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, sat right behind me in the in the rows, like ten seats over. So you saw him in the game, and like I actually, I never asked for people with his pictures, but I thought it'd be cool because I walked right by him, and I had a Steeler hat on, a Steeler jacket on, and he like he touches, he like grabs me, and he says, "Hey, you know that uh, the Steelers are not." playing today. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you and he goes, by the way, they're not in the playoffs either. <laughs> and I said, I'm in, I told him I was in denial that I wanted, he laughed. And then I said, you want to get a picture? And he says, yeah, certainly. And then the guy goes one, two, three. And he says, out of the playoffs, say out of the playoffs. So they were, he was having a good time ribbing me about the Steelers, but he was very friendly and sociable. I know I heard that he likes to sit with the fans and he was sitting next to all these Rams fans and they were waving. He was getting into the game and uh, I, you know, I disagree with a lot of things he does somewhat, but he stepped definitely, I, he was definitely not in the skybox and separated. He was with the fans and, you know, on the 50 yard line, but still talking to everybody, very friendly, posed for pictures with anyone who wanted pictures with. So that was pretty exciting. But, uh, you know, to the Rams Cowboys game, it was, it was, this was the Cowboys NFL record 63rd, 63rd postseason game, which is amazing for some of these teams that aren't in the playoffs that much. And these, these two teams had played, uh, Eight, eight times in the playoffs, between 73 and 80. We talked about when the Raiders and the Steelers. The Raiders and the Steelers were the AFC rivals. This was the NFC rivals. Mm-hmm. 76 and 79, Cowboys won the championship game but lost the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And then in the 79 playoff game, the Rams won but then lost the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And uh, they both, the Rams have only won postseason games since St. Louis since 2002, only one whole game. So it's, this is like exactly like the Steelers-Raiders because it's a historic, historic game between uh, two story franchises. 
You're listening to Ira on Sports. It's 95.9, the True Oldies Channel, 736. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about uh, 15 minutes or so, uh, Tim DePiro is going to join us. Uh, that's Randy Moss's uh, former agent. We'll speak with him right now. We're talking to Ira, who's live in L.A., discussing uh, discussing the Rams and Cowboys game. Also, kind of knocking uh, L.A. Memorial Coliseum. You know, I, I I did Google this to see the wall. You're right. There's there's <laughs> museums all over the stadium. It's so strange. But, uh, you know, the, the picture with Gude- uh, Goodell was all worth it. So, tell us about the game, I because this was really strange, and I keep looking up and like, wow, Gurley just broke another one. Oh, Gurley just, wait a minute, this is C.J. Anderson, he's been cut three times this season, and he ran all over the Cowboys, in addition to Gurley, who also had over 100 yards, strange game. C.J. Anderson, Denver didn't want him, so he was cut from Denver, then he goes to Carolina, they cut him, For everyone tells him we're cutting him because he's not in shape. He goes, he's been, he didn't play anywhere for like six, seven, six weeks, four, I think four or five weeks of football. And then Gurley's hurt. And the last two weeks he goes for 167 yards, 132 yards, and then yesterday 123 in the playoffs. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, he was, but they were using both of them. And uh, it was just like the first drive. The Rams just, they, but they used Gurley and Anderson. And uh, they went the whole way down the field, uh, and, uh, and they only got a field goal. So it was, uh, it, it was they, they just they, they got on the first drive. Dallas came back, and, uh, um, and Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott converted a fourth down. The one thing about these playoffs, if you watch playoff football right now, teams going for their fourth down. I mean, clearly, that's what they're doing. They do not, they, they, they know they're going to have 11 or 12 possessions. And they just don't, if it's like a third, a fourth and two or three or even four, they're going to go for it. And Dallas converted on their fourth down, went up 7-3. The Rams went back down. They had a 16-play, 70-yard drive. Um, they converted on their own fourth and one on their 43. And they got first and goal with the nine-yard line. They scored, but the, the play was reversed. And then they ended up kicking another field goal. So they had two drives for almost 15 minutes. They went 140 yards and got six points. <laughs> so, and it's like, like I'm with Rams fans around me in my section. Now the other side is like 50-50 Cowboys Rams. The other side was more Cowboys fans, and the you know, Rams fans are going crazy. They're like, how can you just you had the ball for an entire quarter and you get six total points? Um, and then uh, uh, the Cowboys punted, and then the Rams went down there, and then and then they scored a touchdown. They finally scored a touchdown. Prescott throws an interception. And, uh, uh, and then Gurley, then the Rams went down again. Gurley finally broke that 35-yard touchdown run and uh, made it 20-7 to for the first half. But, I mean, you look at the stats. I mean, in the first half, the Rams were 342 yards to 122 for the Cowboys. Outrushed, they rushed for 201 yards against the Cowboys' rush defense that looked amazing, like unstoppable. They were in the one half. I mean, 201 yards to Cowboys, 43. Uh, it's just the Cowboys are averaging holding teams to 94 rushing yards a game, and in the first half they get 200 yards. So it was like 20 to 7. Uh, and then in the second half, uh, the Cowboys started out, you know, getting with the ball, 20, you know, with a punt. The Rams got a field goal, 23-7, and uh, um, and then and then the, and then finally the Cowboys scored. I mean, this is the one of the playoff games that. This in the in the Saints game where it actually was sort of close, where they kept it in the game and the and the Cowboys came down even at twenty three seven and scored and made it twenty three fifteen. But do you know what? The Rams came back down then and and uh, and and were able to go and score. I mean, they had a drive. I mean, that, that was their ability to the time of possession. Uh, they had thirty six minutes for the game in terms of time of possession, holding the ball, running it down, taking that lead to thirty to fifteen, and uh, and then the Cowboys when they went up thirty fifteen. It took the Cowboys so much longer to score. They went down and scored, uh, and, and and Zach played great. He made some big time plays. He he ran the ball in an option, and they made it thirty to twenty two. 
but when the Rams got the ball back, we've talked about this on my show before, sometimes the best defense is the offense. The Rams get it with 2-11 to go. They're up eight points. No chance for the Cowboys to come in and, and score if they don't get a first down. And they were able to, you know, and Goff actually ran for a first down and uh, scrambled on a third and seven, and then the game was over. Uh, and, and Jared Goff has not thrown a touchdown pass in like four games. He is average. He was 15 for 28 for 186 yards. But Anderson ran for 123 yards. Gurley ran for 115 yards. He had 30 first downs. Uh, and Cowboys were one for 10 on third down, just as Steve Chaniel said about third down conversions. Um, and uh, they were only had 50 yards rushing for the, for the game. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a great win for the Rams. And the Cowboys, I, I think the Cowboys are happy. They beat Seattle the week before. They got that playoff win. But uh, I, I was expecting a little bit more. They, this was a game, I think the Rams on those first two possessions only getting field goals. I think if the Cowboys would have jumped out and got a bigger lead in that time instead of being up 7-6, you know, twenty-one-six or something, they might have been able to to win that game. No, you know, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly that Dak wasn't bad. You know, Dak he made a couple of mistakes, but Dak didn't lose you a game by any means. Here, this was the defense. The defense lost the game for you, and it's been such a good defense, especially for the second half of the season. I really didn't see that coming. And I'll talk more about, you know, the kind of the same thing happened with the Chargers, and that's what really surprised me. We'll talk about that game in a minute, but let's move on to the uh, Saturday night game. Um, I'm sorry, the, the Saturday morning game. I, I basically went into this like, all right, I'm going to do a four-team parlay all on the money line and basically take all of the underdogs. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take Indy, I'll take Dallas, I'll take the Chargers, and then I'll take New, uh, New Orleans at home. Ira, six minutes into that Chiefs game, you knew the Chiefs were going to beat the Colts. I mean, the, the Chiefs were just imposing their will on the Colts. Colts didn't have a, a first down until probably, you know, almost the end of the first half. It was awful. Um, so tell us about this one because this absolutely didn't go the way I thought it was going to. I mean, that first quarter, 185 yards uh, the Chiefs had to the Colts' 12. I mean, the Colts could not do it. I mean, everyone wants Andrew Luck to be the MVP. Andrew Luck's the great. Andrew Luck's this. Andrew Luck's that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the Colts, it was like three and out constantly. They have a first down for the second quarter. Um, the only thing that kept them in the game, you know, it was one of those things where you, where the chiefs, this is what scares me with the chiefs. I think they're sloppy. And I think that's what the Patriots can take advantage of them next week because they're up 17, nothing. They're completely dominating the game. And they're finally punting for the first time and they get the punt blocked. I mean, the last yeah. thing they wanted when the Colts couldn't move the ball at all is to have a punt block, and they get their punt blocked. And it's just that's a sloppy, sloppy play. And the Chiefs drove down and still made it twenty-four-seven. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, uh, and then, but then even the Colts was so funny at twenty-four-seven at the end of the first half. The Colts drive down there and they have on the five-yard line. And you would think that, okay, you're getting blown out of the game 24-7. You don't need a field goal. You really got to get that touchdown. But they go for the field goal on a, on a gimme 23-yard field goal. And Vinatieri is the, most, the best postseason kicker of all time, misses the 23-yard Un- field goal. I think at that point they realized the game was over. Uh, and then it was interesting. In the second half, Kansas City gets the ball. What do they do? 14 play, 48-yard drive, seven minutes. And they got stopped on fourth down, but it just took the air out of the ball. And then and it just there was no time. And even when Kansas City fumbled, Watkins fumbled the ball, and then Luck got the ball back. So they had a chance. You're like, well, maybe there's still some magic or whatever, because you never can, quote, leave a game. And then once uh, Andrew Luck fumbled, and then Casey got the ball, I just – I was watching at a restaurant outside the stadium, and I you know, decided I was just rushing to the stadium at that time because it was over. But uh, uh, Damian Williams, uh, I picked him. He's a Dolphin the guy who played on the Dolphins yes. last year, and they just gave up on him. 
I mean, he was the backup to Hunt this year. He had a great game, 25 carries, 129 yards. Anybody who's watched Kansas City the last four or five weeks has seen how good Williams is. He's just got a contract extension. Uh, Sammy Watkins came back. He dropped some balls, but still he had six catches for 62 yards. Hill was great, eight catches, 72 yards. Kelsey, seven for 108. I mean, Kansas City, 29 first downs to 15. Colts were 0 for 9 on third down, uh, 40 to 20 time possession. I mean, the score really was not. <laughs> it could have been worse. Blown up by like 50 <laughs> points, <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was it was just a weird game, and, and and the Chiefs did what they had to do, and 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 just and I said get that get that early lead and just post the rest of the game. You know, what, Ira, that's what you know really stood out to me in this one. Is it you know we talked about how Dallas was playing amazing defense, go you know the last uh, two months of the season looked awful. Then, you know, you had the Kansas City Chiefs who couldn't stop anybody all season. Luckily, they just score 40 points a game, and they made Andrew Luck, who is arguably the hottest quarterback in football going into this game, look like he didn't know what he was doing. So this was a strange weekend, and it got even stranger uh, on Sunday. Ira, I could have swore that Bill Belichick had the Chargers playbook. It was 41-28, to the final score, and it wasn't close. It was not even close to that. I mean, if you watch this game, New England just picked them apart. And this is supposed to be a good defense for San Diego. Tom Brady and and the Patriots are supposed to be, you know, starting to tail off at their offensive uh, prowess, and that's not what happened at all. Again, I lost another bet. I I, I didn't see this one coming, I. Well, I mean, we had Andrew Catalan on last week, and Andrew, who is is there another person that knows more about the NFL than Andrew Catalan? I mean, he spends the entire week going and meeting coaches, meeting the, the teams, immersed in each game. I mean, he is as knowledgeable as any person, and he said Chargers to the Super Bowl. And a lot of smart people thought Chargers. I mean, this is Rivers' year. The Patriots are struggling. They have a lot of problems. Gronk is old. Brady is old. Their defense has holes. And, I mean, but I like what the Patriots did. I, I, this, I think in the playoffs and what the offenses are, I, this whole deferring I think is ridiculous. I think if you, unless you have the Bears defense or whatever and you whatever, the weather or something, you take the ball first. The Patriots won the toss and said, we're not deferring the second half. We're to give us the ball. And they, and they marched down. Was that first drive tremendous? Huge. <laughs> like Brady was just amazing. He was converting. They converted like four thirds. He was four for four and thirds down. Um, at, you know, at, at, he was throwing it to Edelman and to White and to Sony Michelle. And I think it was seven for nine the first half for the first drive. And then the Chargers come back and Mike Williams drops this 45 yard pass that was right in his hands. Yeah. And then Rivers throws another pass to Al Keenan Allen. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, we have another shootout. You know, the Clemson Alabama game, the New England defense is terrible. It's going to just be whatever. But then the Patriots come back down the same thing. It was like almost every one of their drives was like a pass to Edelman, a pass to White, uh, 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 you know, right. I mean, it was just uh, White. It was just amazing. And Tony Michelle, who ran tremendous. And Chargers went three and out. Like, the Chargers picked the wrong time to keep going three and out because that's what they kept doing. And, uh, and then even it's just like they went back again. And then, they, again, another touchdown. It was, seven, it was 14-7, 21-7. And then they went down 28-7. And uh, at one point in the game, the Chargers had 16 plays for the whole game. And the Patriots had 17 first down. Yeah. 16 <laughs> plays to 17 first down. And then to add insult to injury, at the end of the first half, the Chargers fumbled the punt. And the Patriots scored another touchdown to go up 35-7. And the only thing you could say about that was the Patriots is they had the ball at the end of the first half again. And they couldn't get a field goal off to go up 38-7. But, of course, I mean, that, that fourth quarter, that second half was the longest. I mean, nobody – I was at a bar in L.A., and there were no Charger fans there at all. I mean, that's the funny thing. I'm in a bar in L.A., and there were yeah. no Charger fans, <laughs> Patriots fans. And, um, and it was uh, – and there was – 
just nobody was paying attention to the game. You could have put the Simpsons on, people have been watching it more. I mean, it was like <laughs> the game was over. And it was a tremendous, all these people that think Brady fell off a cliff, 34 for 48, 343 yards, a touchdown, Sonny Michelle, 24 for 129. I mean, what's amazing is Brady now has 15 games of 300 yards in the playoffs. The next closest is Peyton Manning with nine. I mean, Brady's tremendous. He looked great, and that was a this is a tremendous performance. Just about two minutes away from Tim DePero joining us here on Ira on Sports. You know, Ira, this game to me, if I'm any team left in this in this uh, in this playoff hunt, you got to be petrified of the <laughs> of the Patriots. Now you got to be scared. Uh, this is what the Patriots of old did. They had somebody that you didn't expect to beat you, beat you. Sony Michelle just absolutely dominated them. And they took your best thing away from you. That's classic Bill Belichick. Melvin Gordon had 15 yards. I think he's a top five running back in the league. They have a good offensive line. He had 15 yards. So that's classic Bill Belichick to me, Ira. And I'm petrified right now if I'm either NFC team or the Chiefs to have to play these guys. Yeah, I mean, Sony Michelle, getting the running game that's going, I mean, they've been inconsistent. Now, the problem is the Patriots have to go on the road to Kansas City. They haven't looked good on the road, and the Patriots do have these things. But, boy, very well executed game plan by, by the Patriots. Uh, Phillip Rivers, uh, now he's getting criticism. I mean, this was like the game people said, this was a pressure on Phillip Rivers. This was almost like the Hall of Fame game. I mean, I think Phillip Rivers is the Hall of Famer. I think he's been consistently a great quarterback for a long time in this league and should be a Hall of Fame player. But for people who say, what has he done in the playoffs? This was his, I've done something in the playoffs type game, and he didn't do it. So maybe he felt the pressure. You saw him at the end of the game. He was yelling at the refs. He was really upset. He's emotional. It's very emotional in the defeat. Um, He really wanted to win that game, but it was just a very weird game i don't think anyone really as even the most ardent patriot supporters didn't say this game is gonna be over at halftime and we're gonna just be up 35 7 like no one thought that was gonna be the case uh, like you said I, I think the majority of uh, you know pundits across the country thought the chargers were gonna win outright <laughs> obviously uh we were wrong on that one uh ira it's time to bring in tim uh tim DiPiero. he's joining us now on ira on sports tim thank you so much for taking some time out of your uh, busy schedule and joining us here on uh, ira on sports Hey, I have no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm coming down your way this weekend. I'm looking forward. Uh, my daughter's a family doc in uh, Juneau Beach at the Wellness First, and my sister lives there. My cousin lives down there in Palm Beach Gardens. I'm looking forward to playing some pickleball with my daughter and her boyfriend Cal this weekend with my wife. So. Tim, uh, it's excited actually excited to get down to Florida. It's freezing here right now. It's sixty-five degrees. I have a sweater on. Um, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm still sorry for you. <laughs> Ira, what do you have for Tim? I'm well, sorry. Tim, um, I had you on the show because um, you're a good friend of one of my uh, my good friends uh, in West Virginia. Everybody can tell you have this great West Virginia accent. But uh, you happen to be an agent for five NFL football players in your past, as not only being an attorney, but also for Randy Moss. And uh, I, I think we were talking in the news today about, I mean, we've talked about Antonio Brown for a lot, about all the issues with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. And having been associated with Randy, because, of course, he's from West Virginia, uh, maybe tell us a little about being the agent for Randy, uh, a little bit about how you got even in touch with him and how to do that. And, and, and maybe, as I said, you were the, very instrumental with him when he was at, after he was in Minnesota, five, six, one of the great, best years ever in the history of as a wide receiver. He went to Oakland, had two semi-bad years, but then he goes to New England and then, you know, is there for a couple of the most amazing football years ever. So sort of tell me about your background with Randy and, and how that all got about and, and even negotiating that, that new first New England contract. Oh, well, just real quickly, uh, 
you know, Randy got a high school fight and it, it went became national news. Uh, I think largely he was a victim of uh, the Lawrence Phillips stuff that was going on and the O.J. Simpson stuff that all both had happened '94 and his his incident happened March of '95 and he wasn't even the main culprit in this school battle, but the, the guy who was was juvenile, so another details came out about him and. And it went national news, I think, because he's going to Notre Dame. And, and so um, uh, I was a local criminal uh, defense attorney who been involved in sports all my life, and some people recommended him to me. And so we got to – it was a slow process. He and his, his mom were very cautious, distrusting of folks, and it took a while to, to build the trust. And, um, and we were able to eventually get through all that mess, and, uh, you know, he – we took him down to Florida State, and uh, uh, we're in uh, Bobby Bowden's office, and uh, it was quite a quite a great first meeting there. And uh, he told Coach Bowden he wanted to play two years and, and leave. And <laughs> Bowden told me he'd never heard that before, and uh, <laughs> and so he, that didn't last, unfortunately. But then he went to Marshall, and he kind of just blew it up, and everybody said, "Oh well, he's just at Marshall." You know, he won't be able to do that in the pros. And, of course, he, he blew it up like he said he would first year at Minnesota. And, uh, he, you know, the rest is history. He just had an incredible career. So in terms of – tell me a little about, like, when, when Belichick decided to bring him into New England because he had been – he had a, a – the, the exit from Minnesota wasn't nice. I mean, he had, people thought he was going to be there forever. He had – 16, I mean, you put you look at the stats right now compared to players today. It's, I mean, he was getting 16, 1,700 yards, receiving 90 catches, 20-some touchdowns. It's on uh, numbers that Brown is just even trying to come close to. But then he goes to Oakland, and, and what was the thinking of going to New England because, uh, and going into that whole culture of the Patriots from being this, I guess, uh, troublemaking uh, wide receiver? Yeah, he was miserable in Oakland. Um, Oakland was really, at the time, just really struggling. Um, I went out there a few times to see him play, and the offensive line, they were really, really struggling. They, he, he'd go cut, he'd go make a cut and look back, and the quarterback was either on his back or running for his life. Um, it was just something, just a bad atmosphere. And um, so he had actually, as I recall, he had actually run into, on a bye week, he'd gone back to Minnesota to see some of his friends, and I think they were playing the Patriots, and he actually got to meet Brady. And he said, man, if you can help me get there, I want to get there. And the word got back that he wanted to go. And uh, and so, um, you know, I met Belichick when he went out there to, with the seam um, after after he'd signed. And I said, Coach, you know, um, you know, a lot of people have a misconception of, about uh, about Randy, he's a really good guy. I think you're gonna like. Him. He says, "Well, a lot of people have that same perception of me." He says, "I think we'll be fine," <laughs> and uh, and it's turned out to be true. I mean, he and Belichick got along great, and uh, it's a shame he didn't stay there. I, I think he made a mistake. He knew it like within a week or two after he'd gone to Minnesota, in uh, kind of wanting to get out of there, and he, he really should have stayed there. I think he'd have won a couple Super Bowls if he'd have stuck around New England. How can you so I guess the comparison is like for if you're Antonio Brown and, and you're it's almost the same age as they were they're at the same part of their career as when he 
went to Minnesota when he went to New England. Um, where do you what do you see if you were Antonio Brown's agent and handling this right now? How would you suggest that he go back to Pittsburgh? Like, what, just give me an insight in terms of someone who was involved in this with a player um, looking at the outside because I know you don't have the insight that you had with Randy. But what do you think about the, the whole Antonio Brown situation? You know, these wide receivers or something, aren't they? Sometimes they're, they're, uh, they got strong views on, on their position, on, 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 uh, what, what should happen. And, uh, uh, you know, Antonio's as good as anybody. I mean, he's incredible when he can get open. And, um, it's a shame that what's happened in there in Pittsburgh. It's a, kind of a mess there with, uh, you know, Pittsburgh gives, Brown a long term deal and it doesn't work out. And they gave Bell the franchise tag and that hasn't worked out. And so I don't know if there's a leadership problem or if these are just two tough individuals that are, are problematic or, or if you know Tomlin and Ben have some problem going on with running this team. Um, but I, I would, you know, I don't see it working out well now. I mean, you know, when you, when you break the trust of your teammates, it, it, it's it's tough. I, I um, I noticed. I don't know if you saw him on the on the uh, air tonight, but uh, he apparently told Jerry Rice he's dying to go to 49ers, and Rice is pushing for him <laughs> to get there. And uh, I just saw that, and uh, that seems kind of strange to me. But I, you know, I would if I was if I was representing him, I'd certainly if he wasn't going to go back to Pittsburgh, and it doesn't look like now he's going to, although it's possible, but I don't think so. I would want to be going with a really good quarterback that's for sure with a good offensive line because if you know you can have the greatest quarterback in the world but if your line's not any good then your, your quarterback's not going to be any good so i would be wanting to go where they got a chance to win a win a ring and for him to be able to you know really be able to to get the ball well thanks uh thanks a lot for coming on and giving us your insight i guess I, the last question is you i know you wanted to to talk about uh, you're one of the best senior you players playing senior basketball across the world. Really, you're you're one of the most athletic <laughs> I people. I would say that all these the, I, I, I mean, your bio uh, is tremendous about the sport. We have. I've had. Uh, there's a great uh, tournament in Coral Springs that I'm playing in May, and there's one uh, two weeks for playing in Clearwater at the Masters Basketball Tournament. Through both of those, and and I've been blessed to meet some guys from all over the country. In the 65 to 70 uh, category, there's every five years all over the, uh, you know, all these tournaments are all over the country, and then there's some international ones. And we played in Auckland, New Zealand uh, in, in uh, April, March of uh, 2017, and won gold, beat uh, Brazil in the finals. Then we played in Tuscany, Italy, a bunch of little towns in Tuscany uh, in the 60s. I was able to play with my brother Bill, which was really a blessing, too, and, and uh, we, beat, uh, we beat Russia twice. And we beat Lithuania in the finals, and and my cousins from Italy were, were able to, my cousin from Italy was able to attend, and that was really fun. And so, yeah, this I'm really I'm really involved with uh, with senior basketball, and I'm fortunate to be in good enough health to to still try to get up and down the floor a little bit. Well, <laughs> well, that you'd not just get up and down. I mean, that's awesome, I and mean, that's great because yeah, I know I have friends that are like you know twenty five, thirty years old, and like I can't play ball anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> and you're, and you're, well, you're like slow mode to some people what? now, but we really have a lot of fun, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty daggone competitive, and and it's neat to meet guys from all over the world and and play a game we all love, and and uh, it's just I just never dreamed 
when I was playing ball years ago that I'd still be playing and, and, uh, and playing overseas and, or going to Florida and, and different places. And so it's really, it's really special. And, uh, I, it's, it's, it's fun to get butterflies before a game and all those kind of things you got when a kid and still, you know, still be able to experience that. I've, I've competed something all my life and, and, uh, that's just something I've always enjoyed. It's, 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 uh, I gave up, uh, uh, guns and <laughs> and trucks when I was about six years old. And all I remember ever having a, a ball glove, trying to trying to compete against my older brother Jim, who was who was always into everything. Well, anyways, um, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and uh, and enjoy. Hopefully, it'll get warmer out down there in West Palm Beach, and uh, and you get to enjoy some of the nice weather down there. I look forward. To, I look forward to it. Hey, thanks, Ira. Really enjoy talking to you. See ya. He is Tim DiPiero, joins us here on Ira on Sports. Great interview, Ira, and you're right. I'm 35, and I can't play basketball for more than five minutes. I take my car to the mailbox, put it like that. I mean, I don't know how he's doing it, but uh, good for him. He's a bigger man than me. It's 8 o'clock on the button. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, do you want to touch on Eagles Saints real quick? You want to get your picks for uh, for this weekend? What are you thinking? Yeah, let's we got we got coming up. Well, let's cover Eagles Saints and and then we can go in and, and next week we you know we're going to be busy next week. We're gonna, we're we're going to start talking about you know I love the NBA. You know I love the NCAA basketball. And we're talking about Duke, uh, the Pacquiao uh, Bronner fight is this weekend, which I'm excited about. The Australian Open starts. Cooser at the Sony Open uh, just won, and some golf is, is heating up. But uh, let's run over and, and also the Hall of Fame. So next Monday will be interesting because the Hall of Fame voting is that Tuesday. But yeah, let's cover the let's cover that 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 Eagles Raiders game. I mean, I'm sorry, Eagles Raiders, <laughs> Eagles Saints game because it was clearly the best game of the weekend and the one everyone wants to talk about. So we'll finish with that. Yeah, go, I mean, go ahead. I this was one. I, I think most people thought the Saints were going to win this, and it didn't look that easy. Uh, Nick Foles and the, those Eagles, they had a lot more in the tank than I thought they were going to. I think that they game planned pretty well. It just didn't work out that way, and you're going to see a win out of New Orleans, 20-14. to 14. But this one could have went either way, and like you said, Ira, this was easily the best game of the weekend. You know, the Eagles, I think we're—I mean, you talk about a game that we're a few plays away. Oh, Alshon I mean, Stonehands Jeffrey. They'll never get in over this loss. I mean, they— the first play of the game, they intercept, uh, they set Breeze. LeBlanc from the Eagles, uh, what a game. I mean, from interceptions to the tackle we had Kamara later in the game, uh, tremendous. Eagles march down, six plays, 37 yards, Matthews touchdown. Saints go three and out. Eagles, another 75 yard down, third touchdown. They're up 14 to nothing before they, anyone knew anything. They're like, wow. And the Saints get the ball again. And that one play where Breeze fumbles the ball, they didn't know if they, did the, did the, did the, uh, the Eagles get the ball. There was a review. If the Eagles would have had that ball, they'd have had like at the five-yard line, they could have gone up 21 to nothing in the first like seven minutes of the game. And that would have been amazing. And then, but then the Eagles get the ball back, and that's when then finally falls through an interception. And uh, then the Eagles get the ball, the Saints get the ball back. And they did that, that, that fake punt that the Eagles were not ready for. And, and they went down and scored and stabilized the game at 14-7. But that first part of the game, that first quarter could have just, it, this could have been the San Diego, uh, yeah. uh, New England game in reverse because it, we could have, the game could have just got away from, from, uh, New Orleans, but they were able to hold on to it. But it seemed like after that, 
I mean, the Eagles, I mean, looking at the play things, Eagles punt, Eagles punt, Eagles punt. Eagles just did nothing to, like, the last drive of the game. I mean, really, they stuck on that 14 number. And the Saints really weren't doing that much. I mean, they were going down. I mean, they were, they, uh, they, they, they were going down on these long drives and just getting field goals. And that's all they were doing, really, the rest of the game, was just converting on field goals and, and coming down and doing that. I mean, they had a, they had a, a drive to start the second half. The 18 play, 92 yard drive. It lasted 11 minutes and 29 seconds. I've never heard of a drive that Crazy. long. Crazy. No, they converted yeah. three third downs, and they got. They, that's when they finally took the lead, and they took the lead on that with a 2014 uh, uh, to take the lead 2014. But when they had a chance to go up 23-14, they missed the field goal, and uh, the Eagles come down. And I just like Foles is going to win the game. I mean, everybody thought Foles with two minutes to go was going to win the game, and he gets down to the 27 yard line. Throws it to Jeffrey and Jeffrey to, uh, just right through his hands. He clicked it and a great play by the Saints to pick that interception off and end the game. But uh, what uh, what an amazing! I mean, it's just like they could have ended it at the end and they could have ended it at the beginning. The Eagles had their chances to put the Saints away early or on the final blow at the end and weren't able to do it. Ira, we've got uh, just like a minute or two here left. I know you're, you love the Dukies, so let's talk about them just real quick. It's 49-48, to 48, by the way, right now versus uh, Syracuse, and uh, that's at halftime. Um, Ira, tell us what, what's going on here with Duke. I mean, they're obviously really good, and they're, they're going to hold on to number one uh, going into this week. Well, I, the game they play a great game at Florida State. These games are a little tighter because – He's really gunning for them, but uh, Cam Reddish, who think, some people think could be the third pick, uh, hit this amazing three-point shot at the end of the game to win that. Uh, college basketball is interesting this year. Michigan seventeen and zero. Duke plays Virginia on Saturday. Anybody wants to get? You're like you're ready to get into college basketball this year. You're thinking, okay, I'm done with pro football. Done with college football. That's over. We got only three football games left. I think I'm going to get into college basketball. Watch Duke Virginia on Saturday. I mean, it's going to be in Duke. It's the fans are going to be into it. It's going to be a great game. That's going to be a tremendous game. And and the, the weird thing about college basketball this year is just a lot of teams that haven't been on the radar are playing really really well. Like a St. John's team that's 14 and one. Uh, Houston's 15 and 0. Buffalo is ranked 19th in the country. They're 13 and one. So it's really when you you better start paying attention now. Or you're going to have trouble with your with the uh, during the tournament because there's a lot of topsy turvy teams that have been bad for many many years are now suddenly playing well. And that's what college basketball is. You get a couple of players in and you go from being a, a doormat to one of the top teams in the country. So that'll be exciting. But I do think I'm really pointing to that Saturday uh, Duke Virginia game. Uh, both teams will be. Uh, Duke has one loss. Virginia's undefeated. Uh, one versus four at Duke should be a really great college basketball game on Saturday. You know, Ira, it's crazy. You bring up St. John's. Uh, like I said, I'm 35 years old. I grew up on Long Island. St. John's hasn't been good since before I can remember, literally. I mean, Chris Mullen was before I was around. Felipe Lopez was the big star. Like That team's been bad for so long, Ira, and then here we go. Like you said, all it takes is a couple of players in basketball to really turn everything around. Before we wrap this up, uh, this weekend we're going to see Adrian Broner versus Manny Pacquiao in Vegas. What do you like? Um, it's going to be great fight. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I think Pacquiao will win. Broner is a four-time champion, uh, and he's only 29 years old, and Pacquiao is 40. Uh, but it should really be a good match. Like I, I think Broner's a really good uh, uh, boxer, and uh, I'm excited to watch that. It's, it's, it's a really it's, uh, Pacquiao seems to be fighting like once a year now. Um, this is early in the year, so might, he might fight twice. So I mean, I've always liked watching Pacquiao fight, so I'm going to certainly see that fight. 
We are just about out of time. I want to thank uh, Steve Tannehill, also Tim DiPiero, for stopping by here on Ira on Sports. Ira's back in studio next week. It's sure to be a good one. Got plenty of action this weekend. Ira, who are you taking in the uh, in these two games real quick? We got uh, got your boys, the Patriots, taking on the Chiefs. What do you like? I'm rooting for the Patriots. I know I'm the only Steelers fan that roots for the Patriots. I really like Tom Brady. I think he's going to play well. I think this team, I think they are actually, they love the fact that they're the underdogs, that they're not the big, that everyone's picking against them. They're only three and a half underdog, under points, underdogs to Kansas City. Um, I like the Patriots going in. It's, a, it's going to be 10 degrees. The weather's going to be horrendous in Kansas City. I think that's going to neutralize the Kansas City attack. Um, and even though I like Damian Williams, I think Patriots win that game. And I do think, I think the Rams aren't playing well. I, I know that they played well against the Cowboys. I think, and I don't think this, I think the Saints, I, I think they just give the ball to Kamara every single play and they'll score. He's one of the best football players I've ever seen. I think Breeze at home, they're going to be hard to beat. I think that crowd helped them in a game when they were down 14 nothing and they had to hang in there. I think the crowd lifted them to come back. I really, I think, I think it's going to be Saints Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, this is a great weekend. I mean, this is awesome. These are the four best teams all year in football. You get to see them play. Uh, I'm pumped. I think this is really exciting. Sunday is going to be a great, great, great day. Yeah, it's not often we get 1-2 versus 1-2 in the championship game, so I'll be looking forward to this as well, and I'm going to go, uh, I'll go on record, I got the same picks as you, Patriots and Saints, and uh, you know, as, as I've been awful uh, all throughout this playoffs, I hope I'm not jinxing anybody. Like I said, though, we're out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.